Our scripture passage today comes from the prophet Isaiah. We're looking at chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. This is uh, one of the many places in Isaiah that uh, predicts the advent or coming of our Lord Jesus. Uh, before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and gracious Father, who has given us all that we have good in this life, and Lord, you have also given us your spirit and your word to direct us and guide us. Lord, we thank you for these gifts. And as we come before your word today, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate us and speak in our hearts and minds, that as we hear, that as we read, Lord, that we would understand your good and perfect will for us. Father, bless these words that I read today, Lord, these holy words of a holy God. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Listen now to the word of the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you have never seen the movie The Princess Bride, you may be a little bit confused at my sermon title. I don't know if you've read your flash or the bulletin or the, or the marquee out there by the road, but if you've never seen the movie, you, you're probably a little confused. And well, maybe if you have seen the movie, you still might be a little bit confused. But if you've never seen Princess Bride, first of all, I want to say you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, okay? If you've never seen that movie, it is one of the best movies ever made, and you should make it a priority to see it as soon as possible if you've never seen The Princess Bride. <laughs> Go, you need to see it. You need to. All right. You're, you're losing out if you haven't seen it, I promise. But if you haven't seen it or if you've forgotten a little bit, The Princess Bride is a story about a, he's a young boy who is sick and home from school, and his grandfather comes to read him a book. 
And the name of the book is The Prince's Bride. So as the boy is, as the grandfather is reading to the boy, we get to see the story played out in the movie. And every once in a while, the scene flashes back to the bedroom with the grandfather's reading to the boy, and the boy's arguing or objecting about something in the story. Usually he doesn't want to hear about the kissing parts, and he wants more of the action and adventure. But it's a, it's a lovely story. It's a wonderful. It's kind of a, a comedic little tongue-in-cheek take on a lot of the fairy tales. And in this story, the main character is this beautiful young woman by the name of Buttercup. And later she becomes Princess Buttercup. And she's in love with this poor farm boy named Wesley. And all Buttercup and Wesley want to do is to love each other and to share a life together and to be free from all the troubles of the world. But you've got the evil prince. His name is Prince Humperdinck. And Prince Humperdinck, he keeps getting in the way of Buttercup and Wesley being together because he wants Buttercup for himself. And so you have all kinds of interesting conflict. There's chases, escapes, there's fights. You know, uh, it's like I said, great movie. But in, in the middle of the movie, I wouldn't call it the climax. Maybe they call it with the nadir when you hit the bottom point. Humperdinck, Prince Humperdinck kills Wesley. I'm sorry, that's, that's a bit of a spoiler. But not really because he's only mostly dead. And that also is a spoiler, I'm sorry. But he, he kills Wesley, and then the scene breaks back to the boy in the room with his grandfather. Because the boy's starting to get angry. He's confused, and he says, Grandpa, what do you mean Wesley's dead? Wesley can't be dead. And he's got a good point. Wesley can't be dead. He's the hero of the story. You can't kill the hero of the story in the middle of the story. But the grandfather insists, yes, son, I'm sorry, Wesley's dead. And they, and they get into a big argument, and finally the boy, in anger, he slams his fist to the bed, and he says, who kills Humperdinck? Who? Someone's got to get him back. Someone's got to kill Humperdinck. Someone's got to, to perform the justice needed to make the story right. And the boy's even more upset to find out nobody kills Humperdinck. Humperdinck lives. Now, you can understand the boy's frustration. You can understand it completely. The bad guys aren't supposed to win. That's a terrible story. You violated a sacred law of movies making and storytelling. If I watch a movie, and at the end of the movie, the bad guys wins and the credit rolls, you've just wasted two hours of my life. I do not want to watch something where well, the bad guy wins. You've ruined my day. Sometimes the whole day's ruined when the bad guy ends up winning. Most of the time, hope, thankfully, thankfully, most of the movies get it right. Most of the movies get it right. The bad guy doesn't win, and the good guy comes out on top at the end. Ah, if only that were true in life. Yeah. If only we could say that in life, that the good guys always win and the bad guys always lose. That would be great, wouldn't it? Unfortunately, we don't live in that kind of world. And maybe that's the great appeal that movies have for us. Because in the movies, the good guys get to win. And maybe that's why we hate to see the bad guys win in movies, because we see it so often in real life.
time and time again. It seems like the greediest, the most ruthless, the cruelest people are the ones that end up on top. Time again, we see it always throughout our life. Sometimes it's the meanest guy at your office that ends up getting the best promotion. It's, it's, it's the biggest jerk at school that's the most popular and seems to have all the friends. And even in the world of politics, it seems the most ruthless are the ones that get ahead the most. I think for some reason, we're rewarding the worst habits among human beings. And you even look in any place where there's a lot of money, where there's a lot of fame, where there's a lot of power, it always attracts the worst kinds of people among our world. And even if someone gets caught, and they, and they do get caught occasionally, I mean, you and I, we become jaded. We know not much is going to happen to them. Every time I hear a new story about a new politician that's been caught, there's the smoking gun. He's finally been caught in some wrongdoing. I, and I don't care if it's the right or the left, the Democrat or Republican. I've come to the realization nothing's going to happen to him. Nothing's really going to happen to him. Oh, they might have to step down if it gets bad enough. But in a few years, you know, they're going to come right back. Everyone's going to forget it. And they're not going to get in any real trouble. They won't be prosecuted by the law. And, and every once in a while, even when you see them get prosecuted, they somehow get away with it. They've either got the right lawyer or they've got the right friend in the right place or they, they've got the right influence. And if they're connected high enough and somehow get prosecuted, you know what happens? They get a presidential pardon in a few years, and it's like it never happened. Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And you can easily share the frustration of that boy. Who kills Humperdinck? Who gets the Humperdinks of the world? Who's the one that goes after these people that they, they've been empowered to carry out justice in our world? And they've been given the power and the position and the prestige in order to be agents of justice in the world. But who goes after them when justice is required of what they've done? Too often, nobody. Too often they get away. And we see things like that happen and it makes us almost lose faith in life. That maybe what my mom said was right after all. And that life isn't fair. Well, as you know, we like to preach good news here. And that sounds like a lot of bad news. But I've got some good news for you. Because here in this Advent season, where we celebrate the coming of Christ into our world. We also celebrate when he brought us not just good news, but good news of great joy. And I got a great piece of good news for you today. The bad guys don't win. In the end of time, when it all comes together, the bad guys don't win. In fact, it's the good guys that win. And this isn't me just talking. This isn't me just making things up. God has promised us that the good guys will win. God has given us this promise several places in Scripture. Among them is the one that we read today. 
Today, what we read in Scripture, he gives us a peek of what the kingdom of God is going to look like when it is fulfilled finally. When God's work is finished and the kingdom of God is finished. And, uh, and last week, we talked about it a little bit. We saw a little peek of the kingdom of God. And what we saw was political peace being brought to the earth. We talked about uh, swords being beaten to plowshares and spears and pruning hooks and all that good stuff. There's not going to be war anymore. And, and what preceded that and made it possible was that everyone came to worship God and to obey his law and to obey his word. And today we see another peek into this kingdom and we see once again a peace of God reigning in the world. But this is not just a political peace that we see today. This is a, an even more incredible kind of peace. What God has promised us today is the coming of the natural peace of the world. Is a peace that's going to go throughout all the natural world itself. And some extraordinary things are going to happen when, when, when peace ends up reigning over the natural world. It says stuff's going to happen like, like a wolf is going to lie down with a lamb. And these are two creatures that are, that are uh, you know, a wolf is a predator towards a lamb. But now they're going to be at peace and they're going to lie down to each other. Like a bear and an ox are going to, they're going to lie down together. And lions are going to eat straw like, uh, like non-predatorial animals. And, and they even said little, little kids are going to be playing with cobras. Little kids can play with cobras and, and they can stick their hand in the nest of poisonous snakes because it's not going to harm them. All the danger and all the harm that, we, that sometimes we worry about with nature, with what uh, Alfred Tennyson called nature red in tooth and claw, is not going to be the, the, the law anymore. That we're going to be experiencing nature as it was good and peaceful as God intended it to be. And this is an incredible peace, because like I said, it's not just a political peace. This is a natural peace that's going to be coming over the world. And I want you to notice what brings this peace about. All right, God just doesn't just, just, just snap his fingers or clap his hands and make peace reign all over the earth. There is something very specific that happens that allows this peace to reign over the whole earth. And what happens is the justice of God. It's the justice of God. The justice of God is satisfied, and out of that, we get natural peace over the whole world. I want you, in, in, in the scripture, you see that we read today that it is, is talking about Jesus. It's talking about the advent or the coming of Jesus. It started out saying that there's going to be a branch from the root of Jesse. And, uh, and if you may remember, uh, Jesse was the father of King David. So someone descended from the line of King David. And read, read the genealogies in Luke and in Matthew. We know Jesus descended from King David. So this is talking about Christ. This is going to be a righteous branch from the root of Jesse. Someone from King David. And uh, he's going to reign in the place of his ancestor David. But the Spirit of God is going to be upon him in a powerful way. It's going to be a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of might. And out of that spirit... Jesus is going to bring justice into the world. He's going to be a, bring a true justice into the world and is not going to be like the justice of man. Because the justice of man is always flawed. And, and, and even in our system, and i got to say, I really think we try. I think we really try in this country today. And I think we've got probably the best justice system that I've seen anywhere else in the world. But even with all of our efforts, and even with this wonderful constitution and the great laws that we have in place, 
even the best systems, you got to admit, they end up favoring the rich and the powerful. And it's almost something that you can't help. I mean, they always can get the best lawyers and sometimes afford all teams of lawyers. They've always got the friends in the highest places. They always know how to work the system to their advantage. And those who don't know the system, those who can't afford the good lawyers, those who don't have the friends in high places, those don't know how to work the system, so often they were the ones that suffer from our system of justice. So we have the justice of man that, that is flawed, but the justice of Jesus is going to be different. This is what he says. I want uh, y'all look at verse 3. At the, at the prophecy we read today. And it says, he shall judge, he means Jesus, he shall judge not by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. See, he's not going to judge when he comes to bring justice. He doesn't judge like man does. It says he's not going to judge by what his eyes see. And, and what they mean by that, he's not going to be impressed by appearances. Someone can come in with the rich clothes, someone that's, that's well-connected, and they know all the right people in all the right places. That's not going to come into Jesus' judgment at all. And it says he's, he's not going to judge by what his ears hear. And I think that means... He's not going to be swayed by eloquent arguments. He's not going to be swayed by, by technicalities of the law. He's not going to be persuaded by someone who can, who can speak well and has a good grasp of the law. It says he's going to judge with righteousness. He's going to pass his judgment with equity. And when he does that, his judgments are going to favor the poor and the meek. It's those under our system who are least likely to get justice, even in the good systems. The ones who are overlooked, the ones who take the brunt of the system. But in Christ's judgments, they will receive a favorable judgment. But the wicked, the evildoers, the workers of greed and injustice, he says, with the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. That's meaning by the words he speaks, by the words that come out of his mouth. Because when he speaks, he's going to pass judgment, and it's going to be a righteous judgment. And when he does so, the wicked of the earth will be no more. Now, I know that sounds kind of harsh. I know that sounds kind of harsh, but this is absolute necessity for the peace of God to reign in the world. It is his justice it is his judgment that precedes the possibility that we can have peace in political peace or even peace within the natural order of the world. Because the reason why we don't have peace now, not, not just political peace, but even natural peace, the reason why we don't have it is because despite our best efforts, righteousness and justice do not reign in the world. It's greed. It's envy, it's anger, it's lust, it's ambition, it's, it's rivalry, it's pride. These are what reign in the world. Without justice, there can be no peace on earth. Because without justice, these are the things that reign. 
Without justice, it is the evil of the world that will continue to exert their influence and reign in the earth. So it is only justice that can bring it to the end. We like to ask a lot why bad things happen in life. Why do they happen in life? Why this life that God made good and even looked at it and called it good, why and how can it be corrupted by evil things? The answer is simple. It's evil people. Evil people doing evil things have corrupted this world from top to bottom. And the sin, the sin of man has become so complete that nature itself has become corrupt and filled with violence and danger in the earth. Now, I want to note, no, I'm not talking about specific acts of natural calamity. I don't think that a hurricane hits New Orleans because God is specifically punishing New Orleans or a tornado hits Oklahoma because God is punishing Oklahoma. He may or may not be doing that. I don't have access to that kind of information. But these kinds of things happen because the whole natural order has been broken by the sinfulness of man. And now evil things happen. And evil things happen sometimes indiscriminately, even to the best among us. But when the justice of God is complete, there will be peace on earth. Not just peace between nations, not just peace between people, but peace between the people and the animals, and people in the natural world, and animals between each other. It will be a peace of nature, which means there'll be no more famines, there'll be no more floods, no hurricanes or earthquakes or tornadoes. Or if they do happen, they'll have no casualty count. No one again will be mauled by a bear or killed by a plague. No more cancers. No more heart attacks. No more high cholesterol. You see, the justice of God will win. The justice of God will win out unto the world and evil will not have the last word to shape our world. The justice of God will win and the world will finally work exactly like it's supposed to. The good guys are going to win. The humperdinks of the world will receive the judgment they have brought upon themselves. Now, I want you to be careful here because this is not about revenge. This is not about revenge. This is not about getting back the people that have hurt us and done us wrong. There is no vindictiveness in what God is doing here, and there is no vindictiveness in Him. This is justice. This is the Lord's justice. This is the Lord's reckoning. This is taking all that is wrong and setting it to right. So who kills Humperdinck? Who kills the Humperdinks of the world? Who serves justice to those who escape the hand of earthly justice? Well, it's not us. It's very rarely us. Nor should this be our obsession. God warns us about this many times in Scripture. He warns us about revenge. He rewards us about having a heart that just wants to get people back. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. 
judgment is mine, saith all God. And in all honesty, in all truth, if we were to carry out justice ourselves, you have to admit it, ours would just be as flawed as any we see here on earth. A critical part of our faith is believing in the justice of God. A key part of this good news that we believe in, that we love, that we preach and proclaim is believing that God one day is going to set right everything that is wrong. And because of this, we can still believe in good. We can still trust in what is good and do what is good with a whole heart knowing that God's justice is going to have the last word. And you don't have to be envious. You don't have to be jealous. You don't even have to be angry. Well, you have to be a little bit angry about evil people who seem to get away with it and never face punishment for what they do in their life because His justice will reign in the end. The good guys are going to win. I'm going to leave you with these words from Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. Hear that right there. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.